0: Thank you for uh, joining us today. Um, General Grace, um, such a great topic, and I think this is going to be a a time of great rejoicing as we think about this. And uh, um, Papa, would you pray for us, for starters, but then would you—you've been excited about this all week. I have. Probably for— decades, In fact, Papa's been excited about this longer than the rest of us. Before um, the
1: creation of the world.
0: Before the creation of the world, yes. Papa and Abraham, when they were discussing this earlier, uh, got excited, and then Papa's been that way for decades. And we're not even going to say centuries. Um, could you pray for us and then tell us why you, have the, uh, why you got all riled up about this? Yes, sir.
1: Okay. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to… Um, to open the Bible and to talk about a subject called common grace. And even, the, even that term um, uh, demands uh, somewhat a kickback because there's nothing common at all about it. It's common in that it's, it, it's true for, for all creation. Uh, and yet it's very, it's, 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 it's an example of your grace Magnified 10,000 fold and ought to drive us and drive it in our hearts to thanksgiving and to praise and to worship, even. Uh, Even though common grace is applicable to both the uh, redeemed and the unredeemed, the believer and the non believer, uh, it shouts God, it shouts your providence, it shouts your sovereignty. And I thank you that we can explore this subject this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Uh, in response to your question, I, I, earlier this week, uh, these guys are not privy, but I, I was waxing eloquent sitting out one morning in my quiet time listening to the birds in our neighborhood, and I rediscovered the birds and the different sounds that they make and that type of thing. I have a little app that actually... Um, you can um, press it and it'll uh, demonstrate a cardinal's voice and then you get the real cardinal answering back. And it's just, it's amazing. And I was thinking about that in terms of um, this subject uh, in Matthew 6. Jesus says, uh, 625, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or drink, about your body, what you'll put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? And which of you, do by na- being anxious, can add a single hour to his ban of life? And then clothing, and then he mentions the lilies of the field, how God provides for them. To me, that's common grace. Now, he wasn't speaking to a particular group of people, or, but he was explaining, this is how God provides, so don't be anxious. And so that's what common grace is all about, it's God's provision. He allows the rain to fall on the just and the unjust, and we're going to explore that this afternoon in all of its glory and full. Fo- you know, it drives you to thanksgiving. That's yeah. what it's done for me.
0: That's great. Now, it certainly, hopefully at the end, We all are more thankful for the rest of our lives than we have been before this moment. Yes. uh, For sure. Um, And Papa, thank you for that. Uh, Greg, I know you've wrestled this week even with whether calling it common grace is is the way to go. Tell us what, from Acts 14, what had you thinking here? And then tell us about
2: kind of the... What's different about special grace and common grace, maybe to start us off? Okay, so I'll start with special grace and common grace and then go um, beyond that. So when we talk, it's not like there's um, different graces in God. It's God manifests His grace in different ways. Um, So same God being gracious to, uh, to humanity, but in different ways. So when we say special grace or saving grace, that's God's unearned favor that he shows to his people, to his chosen, his elect, like um, they alone receive uh, the benefits of this favor. Um, and when God sets this saving grace on a person, that person will be saved, that person will receive the Holy Spirit, the person, uh, you know, all, all that goes along with, you know, hearing, believing, you know, all of that, that's saving grace. Then there's what's called common grace, which is God being gracious to all of humanity, whether believing or unbelieving. So there's no distinction in this. When we say common, it's that's why we say common, is it's common to all people, whether Christian or non-Christian. So we want to make sure we make a distinction there. I mean, this goes back to the time of the Reformation, even before that. Um, you know, as Pop, Papa Fred quoted, you know, the, God makes His rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Um, and, and Mark's passage from last week in the book of Acts actually really really captures this because Paul and Barnabas are preaching the gospel to pagans um, who don't know Christ, who don't know the one true God. And yet, in what Paul says to them, he's revealing God's common grace to these people. It's undeserved because they're sinners. That's why we say it's grace. It's undeserved because they're sinners. God, anytime God gives us joy, happiness, goodness, life, anything good, it is undeserved because if we got what we deserved... We die and go to hell. Well, I mean, just be honest. Uh, that's what sin deserves. The penalty, the wages of sin is death. Ultimately, the second death. Um, and so, anything we get from God that's not that is undeserved favor. Okay, so let's keep that in mind. And so, as Paul preaching to this crowd, trying to you know offer sacrifices to him and Barnabas. Uh, He says, men, this is verse 15, Acts 14. He says, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And then verse 16, he says, in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. That does not mean he approved of the ways, but he allowed them to. Um, He allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. Uh, For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And one of the things I wrestled with is, uh, you know, a little bit is do we want to call it common grace, common goodness? Because You think of uh, doing good to someone, it has to do with benefiting them, helping them. You think of a good person, it's someone who will help you when you're down. They're generous, they're free with their resources to help other people. we think of a good person, that's what we think. And that's what Paul's saying here, how God is towards these idol worshipers. These people who are worshiping false gods, not acknowledging the true God, this is still what he did. He... He did good by what? Giving rains from heaven, fruitful seasons, meaning, you know, they sowed in, in their fields. They had abundant harvests. They had overflowing harvest. Their hearts were satisfied with food and gladness. In terms of, of just an earthly life, they had a lot of good to enjoy. And Paul is telling them, look, this is how God is. But we have to, the reason why I still land on saying common grace and not just common goodness is because they didn't deserve this. They're worshiping idols. They're not acknowledging the true God. And yet God is still providing for them abundantly. And these are non-Christians. And that's why, again, why we call it common is sometimes, and we'll see this, non-Christians experience more abundance in this world than Christians do. And that's simply because God and how he's working things out, um, he distributes to Unbelievers more than he does believers, and that's something we have to. That I think it, this isn't part of the plan, but I think it pushes hard against the prosperity gospel, which says, "Well, if you are just faithful enough or have enough faith, then you're going to be rich and you're going to have an abundance." No, sometimes the most most faithful people are the ones who struggle the most, while the most unfaithful people are the ones who, at least earthly speaking, tend to succeed the most. So we we can't base Um, our relationship with God on how much earthly abundance we have. So, anyway, I don't want to get too sidetracked on that.
3: That's good, Mark. Yeah, I mean, one way to think about this, y'all may have heard this illustration. I think Tyler Williams is the one that sort of maybe made this more familiar to me. But one of the ways to think about this is that the Lord God in His goodness, He looks at us in our fallen state. Say we're not yet Christians. We're in our fallen state. We deserve, like you said, we deserve death followed by judgment immediately. So, Anything short of death followed by eternal punishment, anything short of that is far better than I deserve. And so, you can think of the Lord holding back His justice with one hand and with the other hand beckoning you to come towards Him. And what the Lord is doing is He's providing a space and time in which there is, yes, the joys of this world, but there's also time to repent, which Mm -hmm. is maybe the, the most significant aspect of common grace is time time before the judgment of God where I can turn from sin and trust in Christ by His grace. And so, He holds back His judgment, looks at a bunch of guilty sinners like me, and says, come to me. I will, I will give you rest. I'll give you life. And that lasts, for some people, it lasts for a hundred years, a hundred years of life. God holding back His just judgment, beckoning in mercy, being patient, giving a hundred years for some of waking up every morning, going to bed every night, enjoying Tens of thousands of wonderful meals and time with family and friends, enjoying work, enjoying leisure, enjoying pleasures of this world. And for all that time, God in His common grace is providing time for repentance. And if at the end of the day, someone hardens their heart all the way to the end of life and dies in that state, as Tyler pointed out, the Lord's holding back with one hand, His just judgment. He's beckoning with His other hand. At a certain point, common grace comes to an end and both hands drop. And the judgment comes forward, and if we have not received the free gift of salvation, we then will meet His just judgment, which we deserve the whole time. So, common grace provides, kind of like Second Peter, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. There's this time there uh, that the Lord is giving for, for people to
0: re- reach repentance as well. That's really good. Page 278, he says just that and uses that verse mark, Second Peter um, 3, 9, and 10. And then that last three lines, he chose rather to allow sinful humans to live for some time so that they might have an opportunity to repent and also so that they would bear children and enable subsequent generations to live and then hear the gospel and repent. And so he has given from the minute we were conceived, from the second we were conceived, there's just showered on common grace. And by not killing us and sending us to hell at that very minute, which is what we deserved. So, Tyler is absolutely, that was a. That was
1: really great. That's excellent. Well, sure. you know, even Adam didn't die right away, right? Right. Mm-hmm. 930 years, I believe, he lived, according to Genesis. Yes.
0: That's, no, that's a ten that's a of common grace right there, That's right. right? Yeah. Um, look at, if we're looking through this, what does he start with? The, um, the physical realm. Uh, on page 274, examples of common grace, and and uh, these are all these are all great. Physically, Greg, you've already um, mentioned the sun. Uh, we've had rain for 24 hours, so the rain has fallen, and it has come on the believer and the unbeliever. That's right now in Nebraska, they used to always say, because we always wanted to rain a lot in the summer. Oh yeah, you guys have been going to church because you got two and a half inches. And you got a hundred inch and a half over here. And that was always like, then you've been a little better than everybody. But that, yeah, that doesn't work. Not according to this where everybody's getting, getting some. And it doesn't mean that, that you are living a more godly
2: life. Greg, can you help us with this physical realm here? Um, Yeah. I mean, it's kind of hard to add to what I already said. Um, Something in here though, I do want to mention, this is on page 274. Uh, where it says the Old Testament also speaks of the common grace of God that comes to unbelievers as well as to believers. He then goes on to speak of um, Potiphar, Mm. the Egyptian captain of the guard who purchased Joseph as a slave. And it says the Lord blessed the Egyptian's household for Joseph's sake. Mm. The blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in house and field. And so he didn't develop this. But I do think there's something to the fact that There can be a special blessing um, in an unbelieving world where believers are present and seeking the Lord. Not like in a prosperity gospel sense, but you see that, especially like with Joseph. Joseph was walking with God, and God gave Joseph favor, and the favor God gave to Joseph had an overflow effect onto, um, onto Potiphar. And then later, you think of God's favor on Joseph in... Um, you know, having the dreams interpreting the dreams of Pharaoh, so that you know the whole world 's basically saved from the famine, and again, that was because of god 's favor on the believer, the unbelieving world um, received a great blessing now i don 't want to like push that too hard, um, but i do I do think it 's something that in this world um, you know that 's believers should be you know in every field of, of employment, every field of, you know, academic pursuit and everything, because we're, you know, by God's grace, we'll be seeking the Lord. And as we seek the Lord in that, we never know how God's blessing is going to be poured out. I mean, think, I mean, we've used this example a hundred times. Think about Manuel, you know, pursuing his PhD and decided I'm, the way, one way I'm going to pursue God in this is I'm not going to gossip. And God blessed People around Manuel, well, unbelievers, Jose Rodriguez would say, absolutely, I'm glad the Lord was working in Manuel well because that's what helped lead to my conversion. And so that's another example how, you know, believe, yes, God is, is, is gracious to all people indiscriminately through common grace um, and just providing the basic needs of life and stuff like that. But I think there's a special blessing that, that believers, just by being there, if we're walking with God, we can have on those around us. Love it. Mark and Papa. Um, I think about, you mentioned Nebraska and
1: rain and stuff. That's another good example of, of um, and, and you could beat this to death. I mean, Rune mentions uh, up here on the top of 74, there's thousands of examples. We could start right now and not be through tomorrow afternoon talking about examples of common grace. But I think of seasons for the farmer. I mean, you know, that's something that God mm-hmm. invented, not us, not man. And there was a time to reap and a time to sow. All the Jewish festivals surrounded a season of the year, and they celebrated that. So that's, again, another example of common grace, how it benefited the state, how it benefited Israel and, and, and of course, us as consumers. Yeah, Papa, you've helped me this week just to think, this is not
0: an easy, to, to make rain is not an easy thing. Piper has a great devotional on that. That is not just easy, that rain's falling out there. There's a lot that has to happen. And this is going on all the time around us, and we can't take that for granted anymore. We have got to acknowledge that God is continually giving us so much undeserved favor, the unbeliever, the believer. Mark? Yeah, I mean,
3: you could do the same thing with salvation, but with common grace, again, it's not deserved. And so, when you think about it, so often, if we don't understand common grace, we will end up becoming angry at God when things don't go our way, rather than being right. shocked by God that anything ever goes the way we would like. So, you know, you think about just with the last year with COVID, or you think about a hundred years ago with the much more serious… what was it? The plague… Uh, the plague… The, the, and the, Europe, the plagues,
2: Spanish flu… The Spanish in flu in
3: 1918, and then before that, you've got like horrible Middle Ages stories of just catastrophic death in Europe. But when you think back at that, again, common grace says uh, we should be shocked that there is a century that goes by without some kind of incredible plague that goes across the world. That is, That is absolutely undeserved common grace that God is giving to unbeliever and believer alike for enormous amounts of time. And so, instead of people, you know, shaking their fist at God when something seems to go the wrong way, we should be shocked that anything goes the right way. You know, I think Piper also said, when, it, when it, there's an airplane catastrophe, and, and those are horrific that happen every few years, where a passenger airliner, uh, you know, falls out of the sky, you'll often have headlines that say, you know, where was God, things like this. And Piper said, what, what about the fact that in whatever year he was writing this, like 2017, there was not a single death in a passenger airliner situation. Like, no, no airliner fell out of the sky, and there were however many hundreds of thousands that took off and landed across the world in the whole year. Zero of them had a catastrophic accident, zero. And it, Piper said, where's the article that says… Thank you, Lord, That's for right. 500,000 planes that took off and landed and no one was injured. We just don't even think of anything about common grace. Of course, God owes us a, a nice day. But as soon as I get sick, as soon as something goes wrong… Where is God? Well, we, we, do, we need to understand common grace. We don't deserve anything good because of our rebellion against God. Our, our putting, we've, we've made our life about things other than Him, and we have sinned against His law repeatedly, and the fact that we get on a plane and it lands successfully, and that we have a wonderful night in the hotel room, and we get up the next morning and go to our event or conference or work, this is sheer grace from God that we so often don't even thank Him for. And
0: so, common grace is meant to sort of flip the switch around and help us to see things with more appreciation. And maybe there'll be a different hatred about it or our entitlement, our mentality of just being entitled. Like, hey, I deserve the sun to come up today. I deserve the rain. I deserve a meal. I deserve, how about just general, like laughter or, you know, oh, you can go on. And we on ought on. to laugh go... more. We ought to. And we, I think I mean... <laughs> if we believed this or if we thought about this, we would probably be less cranky. A little bit more true. laughter, for sure. Did, did Jerry, did you tell an illustration? I don't know where this came from. I
3: feel like it was you. No, I meant it not Where it was like 100 people show up at a Motel 6. Do you remember this illustration? Like 50 of them are really happy and 50 of them are really upset. Okay, I'm going to act like Jerry told... I think Jerry may have told this to me a long <laughs> time ago. I don't know. But he, so here's the illustration. 100 people show up at these buses at a Motel 6. Everybody's favorite hotel, right? And uh, they'll leave the light on for you. You remember those commercials? So, uh... They don't leave a lot else for you, but they leave the light on. So you get, you get to the Motel 6, and uh, 50 people are just overwhelmed with joy. And 50 of them are going, Motel 6, what are we doing here? Now, the, the reaction could not be more dramatic. And the explanation for the, the incredible joy amongst the bus of 50 here and the bus of 50 here, their, their sadness, here, here's the joy. The, the only difference was the expectation of the two groups. So I, whoever told me this story, Jerry… Uh, one group was expected to be headed to the state penitentiary. (laughs) They were expecting to go to life in prison, and they're on their way, and they go, okay, actually, we have a different place for you. We're we're dropping you guys off at the Motel 6. Bye. And they could not be more happy. They're going, this is fantastic. This is one of the best thing imaginable. The other 50 thought they were going to the Ritz, you know. They they, they, (laughs) they thought they were going to the five-star hotel. They show up, they go, oh, no, the Motel 6 is going to be, we're going to find roaches in our room. I know it's going to happen. So the the difference there is what you think you deserve and what you think you're going to get changes everything about how you view life. It changes everything. Unhappy people typically expect far more of their merits. They think they simply deserve a better life than they are getting. That is why they are mad at God or whoever it may be. I deserve better. This was not fair to me. If I got what I deserve, it would be so much different for me. I worked hard. Why didn't I get the promotion? And we we really think that I have merited from God or others some kind of common grace that we don't deserve. And yet, if if we really realize that we were headed toward the gallows to be hung and The executioner not only took the gallows, the rope off of our neck, but the King's son stands in our place and receives that punishment and lets us go free. It's a completely different way of viewing everything in life. So, common grace plays into how we
0: how we think about expectations and disappointment. And that the gospel we need Scott here, don't we? That the gospel is a constant thought about the gospel, thinking about the gospel would change that, would help us to appreciate common grace more than we have, Greg.
2: Well, I mean, let me, let me just um, draw off of that, you know, think about the gospel. I mean, we, we need to, we've said this before, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves on a daily basis because what happens in the gospel, we're reminded that every good thing we have from God is a gift that we didn't deserve purchased for us through the blood of Christ. Um, and so every breath we breathe, I mean, how many breaths have you taken since you came in this room? How many times has your heart beat? Um, that's new life purchased for you by Jesus now, you know, common grace, everybody's bodies continues to work. But as a believer, your time is now redeemed. Your time is now renewed. You have a new perspective. You have a new focus. You have a new emphasis because you belong to Jesus. And now every moment is different for you than it was for an unbeliever. Um, and so you just think about the heartbeats, the times your heart has beaten since you got here, the time, many breaths you've taken, how many thoughts you've thought. Um, I mean, just that in that short amount of time, was purchased for you by Jesus so that you could use that time for God's glory and increase your own joy in him. Um, So, I mean, you think about the gospel, what Christ has done, what he has purchased, like that in and of itself should be sufficient to help us not grumble, but be thankful. Why would that change our mood, wouldn't it, Papa? It would.
1: There's a good quote on the bottom of 274 from Psalm 145. This is a Davidic Psalm. The Lord is good to all, and his compassion is over all that he has made. The eyes of all look to you, God, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. I would read the whole Psalm 145, but it's lengthy, but it has a lot of verses just like that. This simply compound this common yeah. grace provision, providence working. Mm-hmm.
0: Good. How about the intellectual realm or the moral realm?
3: Yeah, I'll jump in on that. So, with, with the intellectual realm, that means that unbelievers have the ability intellectually to do some pretty amazing things. So, I mean, just technology. Your, your cell phone was mainly created by non-believers, mainly. And it is an incredible… I mean, this is… even 50 years ago, this sounds like science fiction, that you could have all the information in the world in something the size of a couple packs of gum in your pocket. I mean, that… anybody ever… okay, I'm going to throw back to the… To my childhood cartoons. Okay, you remember the Flintstones? You remember the Jetsons? Do you remember this? I was like. Did anyone watch the, the Jetsons oh, okay. I remember the, on the, the jetsons show remember they 're flying around you know with the little they're instead of cars the little spaceships are flying around but I remember I was a kid in the, I guess in the early to mid '90s watching where they would press the button they would talk to each other through a, through a TV screen and I thought that is ridiculous <laughs> like imagine if one day that could ever happen of course you can you can be in the middle of nowhere and be talking through video to any family member you have through Skype or through FaceTime. it 's just astonishing that was made mainly by non-christian minds that, that are made in the image of God and so medicine technology, technology. You know, know, Molly has a a little bit of a runny nose, so she's not here today, but we gave her medicine last night. I'm sure the medicine was probably made made primarily by non-Christians and packaged primarily by non-Christians. And here we are, we get to give it to Molly last night, and she gets to have a good night's sleep because of the medicine. So, there are 10,000 ways in which even unbelievers are able to be used and to administer kinds of grace through their their intellect and things they can design. Greg, where are you going there?
2: Um, Well, this is going to draw a little bit from what we talked about uh, Thursday night in Genesis 1, we didn't really draw attention to it uh, because we had other other purposes there. But when God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. What does it mean to subdue something but to bring it under control for specific uses? And so even though humanity is in sin, God in His common grace still is blessing this almost inborn attempt to subdue the world around us. Mark was pointing out the phone. That is a, a product of humanity subduing the world. The chairs you're sitting in. Mm-hmm. Metal doesn't just happen like that. Somebody had to, you know, mine the metal. They melted it down. They formed it. They shaped it. And then they they put it in the, the form that it is. And they sold it. And now it's here at this church. That's because people subdued the world. Um, God in his grace um, permits, um, empowers in a sense, humanity to subdue this in in this original uh, creational mandate, if you will, um, to to do what he said to Adam and Eve. We're still doing that today, and non-Christians still do it. I mean, this this was something God commanded to the whole of the human race, um, you know, regardless of whether you're a believer or not. Um, And so we can be very thankful that God is still blessing that mandate in large measure, I mean, again, all that we enjoy probably, I mean, this church was probably not built by believers. Your car was not built by believers. The majority of what we have was not built by people who profess faith in Jesus. And yet, because of common grace, God has blessed this mandate to subdue the earth for our own good, to bring it under control and to form it and shape it in ways that are beneficial. Papa.
1: I, I was kind of camped out this morning in Hebrews and Colossians and, uh, Hebrews 1:3. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. We talk about these chairs and the building or the planets or the solar system. He's upholding that by the word of his power. And then Jerry'd like this in him from Colossians. All things synergy. All things hold together. So, he's doing that for everyone, mm-hmm. not, not just for believers. This is his universal power and provision. Uh, ju- I mean, it just, like I said, we could, we could spend a week, two weeks on this subject and not exhaust God's. No, that's right. grace. I thought it's interesting,
0: the, the moral realm um, as well. You said they show that the law required, uh, the law requires is written on their hearts, while their conscious also witness and their um, conflicting thoughts accuse or perhaps um, excuse them from Romans 2. From Romans 1, we see a lot about general general revelation, uh, verse 18 to 20, which again we camped on uh, Thursday, kind of like Greg was talking about there. But uh, Mark, tell us how does God use um, some real general grace here in the moral realm?
3: Yeah, I mean... When uh, Richard Dawkins, I saw, was interviewed not that long ago by another atheist, a younger atheist, so Richard Dawkins, you know, late 70s probably, atheist, he's being interviewed by a younger atheist who's… they're both incredibly intelligent, don't believe in God, at least that's what they say. <laughs> and when the younger one is asking him questions about morality, I actually admired the younger atheist for a moment because he asked exactly what I would have wanted to ask if I ever got to talk to Richard Dawkins. Was He asked him, he said, you know, as atheists, what do we ground our morality in? Like, where do we get objective moral standards? And I'm like, okay, thank you for asking that. And so, uh, Richard Dawkins, it was, I, I would love to show the clip right now. I wish I could just pull it up on a screen and show it because I showed it in my Bible classes to high school students just because it's so worth seeing. Richard Dawkins cannot give an answer to why right and wrong exist, because he believes in right and wrong. He believes that there is such a thing as good and evil in the world. He thinks that Christianity is evil a lot of the times. So he might we might disagree with him on a lot of the specifics, but he definitely believes in right and wrong. And so while he's talking, the, the other atheist pushes him on it and goes, wait a second, but with you know, evolution, there's no objective purpose, where are you getting that, that assaulting someone or, or, or stealing, for, how, do you, how do we know that's wrong, ground that in your, in your worldview? He said, well, I think it's just self-evident. I think we just know that it's, it's that way. Well, in that moment, unbeknownst to him, he was bearing witness to Romans 1 and 2, that the law of God is written in our conscience. And so, although Dawkins claims to not believe in God, he is a very Christian atheist because he happens happens to hold to a lot of our moral standards. You should not assault someone on the street. You should not steal from someone. You should not lie, etc., etc. He has these basic moral uh, standards that he doesn't know he's getting from God who gave him his conscience, and he's trying to deny the very foundation for the morality that he has. So, he says, I don't believe in God, but I still believe in the morality that only makes sense if God gave it to us. So, even there, I think that, that he shows great restraint. If he was being a consistent atheist, he would be a true subjectivist, which means anything goes. It's just your opinion and your will and your power versus mine. That's all it is. But he, he doesn't act that way. He, he does believe in, in some moral standards that we would agree with to some degree because of the image of God.
0: Yeah, but that really, that really does remind us of Romans 119. For what they can know about God is plain to them. He is
2: admitting that. Greg. Um, Grudem says some good stuff here on the bottom of page 275. Um, he says, in many other cases, this inward sense of conscience leads people to establish laws and customs in society that are, in terms of the outward behavior they approve or prohibit, quite like the moral laws of Scripture. People often establish laws or have customs that respect the sanctity of marriage and the family, protect human life, prohibit theft and falsehood and speech. And because of this, people will frequently live in ways that are morally upright and outwardly conform to the moral standards found. In Scripture. And it do, he does stress this cannot earn merit or favor with God because even by keeping God's law, we know even when you have the law written down, you can't be made right with God by keeping it. You can't be justified. But because of God's common grace, evil is restrained to the point that non-believers, at least externally, can still lead outwardly decent lives. You know, You know, we were talking about God's goodness earlier, but you know, where I'm from in the South, uh, you know, you talk, there's a lot of good people. You know, they're just just a good person. They give you the shirt off their back. You know, anytime you're in need, they'd be there to help you. And these are people who don't ever darken the doors of a church, make no profession of faith in Jesus. But if they saw you, you know, broken down on the side of the road, they'd be the first to stop. If if your house was destroyed and, you know, a fire or, or a tornado, they'd be the first ones over there to make sure you were okay, to to see if they could, you know, you needed a place to stay, to to buy you a meal. And so that's what that's getting at. Um, and I think uh, we have to be careful not to confuse that type of morality with true godliness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because that was something I faced and I, I, I noticed a lot, um, at least in, in a culture that has a kind of a Bible influence. You think, well, we know what the Bible says about how we're to love others. And a lot of people will say, well, if, if that's what the Bible says and I see these people acting that way, they must be Christian. They must mm-hmm. be godly. Mm-hmm. And it's like not necessarily the case. That's just God's common grace in restraining evil and, and, you know, ensuring that some level of decency in humanity still exists, even among those who don't know him. I love that. That's why it's
0: important. Would you say, I'm just thinking about this, I wonder how we can use common grace in a greater way um, for evangelism, kind of like we saw in Mark, four, in, uh, Mark 14, in uh, Acts 14 that Mark showed us. Well, I'll, I'll speak
2: a little more to that, and then you guys say what you what you want to in addition. You know, one of the things is, um, I noticed in Acts 14, Paul does say God did not leave himself without witness. And so it's not just God not giving them what they deserve, but being generally good. God is saying something through that provision. Mm-hmm. Um, he's saying something through that provision. And so You know, if if, if people were thinking rightly, um, not just intellectually, but morally, they would look at all the good stuff that they get, and they would say, wow, there is a creator who has given this to me, and I need to be thankful. Mm -hmm. So, God's provision through common grace to to every person should prompt people, as you were saying, to repentance. It should prompt us to seek God and to know Him, Um, but we don't, and that's the biggest problem. And so, I think, it's not exactly related, because this is more kind of bigger picture of God's providence. But like you think of natural disasters and, 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 and events where, you know, people's lives are upended and, you know, people die and there's a lot of destruction. Um, you know, one, one response is people say, well, where's God in that? No, the, the intended response is, wow, I, I need to seek God. Like life is short. I don't know how long I've got. I need to seek God and so I think one, one purpose of God in provision, but also in sometimes when he removes that provision through stuff like that is to wake people up to their need of him. Yep. Good to everybody,
1: Psalm 19, uh, Papa. Well, I, I, I'm right. Looking at Psalm <laughs> that, 19. Yeah. I was fine with this guy who was a, a stargazer. I mean, he can really introduce me to planetary studies and whatever, but he was not a believer. And I, t- I took him to Psalm 19. I said, you know, we're, we're privy. They can't even see the stuff in the back of the airplane, but we don't have any lights on in the cockpit so you can look out and the stars are as thick as marbles. You know, they're just mm. glaring at you. I said, it says right here that the heavens are declaring the glory of God and the sky above claims his handiwork. Day by day, it pours out. Speech and night to night reveals knowledge. I mean, you can't get away from that. This is God speaking. So as far as... Evangelism, just pointing out. I have a neighbor that uh, loves birds, and I, I, I and I talked to her about God's provision for the birds. She said, "Yeah, but we provide for them too." But I said, "You know, he was there before we were. <laughs> <laughs> we're just giving them what God gave us." That's right. Yeah. That's right. In verse three, there, there's no speech. There's
0: no uh, there. Um, there are these. There are words where voice is not heard. It's everywhere. It is loud. It's clear. It's the distinct. Lord is screaming. Yeah, distinct to everyone. It's everywhere That's all right. the time, and, uh, and we need to notice it. I mean, if,
3: if we came into this room every week and there was some massive, beautiful painting that was on the wall and a new one every single week, uh, it would be common sense to say someone is doing that. And the more <laughs> breathtaking it is, the more you think, I want to meet this person and thank this person for this incredible artwork that they're giving us. And then we look at the sunset and say, ah, it just happened. I mean, that's an insult to an artist. that, that, is, that is, It's looking at, at the Sistine Chapel and saying it was an accident. You know, it just, it just happened over a long period of time that the paint happened to sort of organize itself in the way it did, and it just… There was no mind behind it. I mean, what, what an insult that is to an artist who has shown us every day in the skies uh, incredible, incredible artwork. I just want to add to that. So, this is something that I'm just working through in the last two weeks preaching on this because I don't think I'd really thought about this in my life with evangelism, which I feel like I'm just behind on this. But the, the idea of, you know… if If you woke up in the morning and there was a big check in the mail for you, or maybe just cash in an envelope anonymously given to you for some need that you had, uh, especially if you really needed it, and there's just this incredible amount of money just there, and you're shocked by it. You can't believe it. You're thinking, who did this? And there's no indication of who it was. And then imagine, you know, imagine someone just gives you incredible gifts, and you don't know who this person is, and then you come to find out who they are. Wouldn't you have such a softened heart toward that individual, such a thankful heart to them that would just incline you to love that person? And… I think using this as a, as a tool in evangelism to say, all that you have is a gift from God. That's the love that He's shown to you. And now That's not yet saving love, but it is a real love. It is a real grace that He's given you. Every day, all the time, He's just pouring it out on you. He's, he's doing more than leaving $100 in your mailbox. He, he is lavishing you with life and breath and everything, and to say, this God loves and cares about sinners, and if we will simply turn to Him, we can know Him. I mean, using that as almost a way of softening the heart towards God in, in evangelism, I don't know that I've ever done it in my life. That's just a new thought to me, but
0: it, that's what Paul's doing in Acts 14, is he brings that up. Very inspiring. I really think we need to, to do that more often every day. Absolutely. And amen. all of us, I look around and I see, the, thinking about the, the jobs that, that y'all do, I think there's Sam in the pharmacy department. How many times every day can that be uh, used in a great way? And um, I, I love it. I think that's just going to be, uh, that's, we needed to, to go after that one way, way more than we do. Greg,
2: um, I'll just piggyback on what Mark said, um, you know, turn the, the what, we, what we just kind of sneer at, we don't even think about um, all the things that we enjoy every day. I mean, you know, we, we, we joke about like giving thanks before a meal. I mean, seriously think about what we're about to do every time we eat. Yeah. I mean, when, you, when, you, when we grasp the big picture of common grace, like, wow, God has provided sustenance for one more meal. I mean, we, you know, we, we talk with our kids and different things like, you know, be thankful every time you get to eat because there's kids who, you know, don't eat in a week, what you eat in a day. Uh, but I mean, seriously, you know, regardless of that, you know, think about the fact of all that went into us having one meal. And I think we will be more effective in evangelism in you know, pushing non-believers to consider how God has provided for them graciously is we have to cultivate thankfulness in the everyday for all the things that we never even pay attention to. And I'm preaching to myself on that. Mm -hmm. Like how, I mean, like we drove here in a car that worked. I pushed a button. I didn't even turn a key anymore. I pushed a (laughs) button and cold air blew on me. Mm. And I, I, I covered what, two, three miles in seven minutes. I mean, that is insane. That's when you science think about fiction. Two hundred years it ago, it is science fiction. Yeah, and it's like if we can 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 stand in awe and be thankful for that, then when I think when we're talking to nonbelievers, we'll be better equipped to say, "Wow, look at look at what you, what God gave you." And I mean, like genuinely excited about it because, like, man, He's doing that for me. He's doing that for you. You know, join me in praising Him for this. Yeah, a middle-class person in America today lives better than a king did in the Middle
3: Ages. Oh, yeah. I mean, just yeah. unbelievable the, the kinds of things God has given us at this moment in time. I mean, we're not just in the top percentage of people in the world. We're in the top percentage, 0. .0001% of people who've ever lived in terms of what the Lord has given us in common grace. And so, of all the people that
0: should be grateful for the Lord and, and, His, and His goodness to us, it should be Yeah, us. we need to think a little bit more about that on sanctification, too. You know, for as believers, Papa, can you help
1: us? Well, we're witnesses. First of all, like back to the Acts um, 14 verse, Uh, yet he did not leave himself without witnesses. We're witnesses to that, but unbelievers are witnesses to that too. But don't you think, Papa, when we're cranky about stuff,
0: the unbeliever sees that and they're saying, wait, is this… This guy's supposed to be a believer. Right. And… As believers, they really we should be a little more convicted about our being moody or our being uh, complaining. Mark, you've helped us with that before to say there's By complaining, no, that's how no, I help. That, well you just there's just no need for that. If we're really thinking big picture here. But we are thinking about our one circumstance that we didn't like and that we're not trusting God's sovereignty. Um, in this, we're not trusting that He's providential, and, uh, and we're certainly not thinking about His uh, common grace. Um, but what kind of witness we are being yeah. to that grace. Or, or growing in our own. I know we're almost… we're low on
3: time here, but just real quickly, he mentions the creative realm. This I mean, we've already mentioned these things, but athletics, cooking, writing, uh, artistic skill, musical skill, all those things that we get to enjoy. Uh, you go to a sporting event that you just find great enjoyment in. Much of that is going to be done normally by non-Christians. There will be Christians there, too, but there will be largely non-Christians build most of what you're seeing and the enjoyment, so so thanking God for those things. Also he mentions s- the societal realm. This would certainly include uh, the family, it would also include the government. Romans 13, there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Now, obviously, governments uh, are flawed in many different ways. Uh, that is obviously true, but far better to have a somewhat flawed government than anarchy. No, no government <laughs> and anarchy is the alternative to God's common grace through government. So. As many flaws as we can point out in, in any government, uh, we can clearly see that it is far better to have a flawed system than, than none at all. So, th- these are areas of common grace that allow us to flourish as humanity, to, 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 for society to function in some degree. Uh, and then they mention the religious realm also.
0: Yeah. Greg, could you close this? Is there any final thoughts before you pray? Um, I know there's a lot of
2: final thoughts, but… Not, not that I have time to get into, to so… It, to get you it. want <laughs> me to just pray yeah. and let that be it? Let's do. Okay. God, uh, we thank you so much, Uh, God, for the the clear teaching of your word that you are gracious to a sinful race of beings, Lord, humanity um, in every individual, and together we are sinners, we are rebels, worthy of justice and judgment and wrath and hell, and yet, Lord, you have not just permitted but guided and provided for generation after generation after generation of human beings um, living in this world and raising families and having jobs. And God, again, it, you provide for a believer and unbeliever alike, um, and we are thankful uh, for that provision, Lord. Um, help us to be exceedingly grateful in our own lives, God, for how you provide in just basic ways on an every moment basis. Lord, help us be uh, grateful. Help us uh, Lord, be willing to, to talk about that with our unbelieving co-workers and neighbors and other people that we encounter, God, because that is a witness to them of your goodness. That is a witness to them of your grace. And Lord, even as we, we kind of talked about towards the end, help us to uh, bear witness about you, God, through this, this common grace that you show every day, uh, Lord, and uh, just help us, Lord, to, to see all the ways that you are providing for us, taking care of us. And, Lord, help us have truly thankful hearts. Um, God, we just thank you for this time, and we pray you'd multiply it in our lives, Lord, that we might walk with you more closely and be uh, just more clear witnesses of our Savior. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
3: Amen. Can, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> let, let me just add one point. I should have said this before the prayer. One quick point. We, we should also see as Christians our jobs as being um, ways of also distributing common grace. So, you know, if you're a police officer and, and, and justly enforcing just law, if you're a firefighter, you know, we, we, see, we should see whether you're a nurse, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a pharmacist, you know, like whatever you are doing, evangelism should be part of what we're thinking about, but also the job itself should be part of our
0: calling from God to, to distribute His common grace to help others in, in yep. many different ways. And talk about not having enough time. Election next week. Read about it, and uh, that will be 45 minutes that we'll have to go to town on that, and it is a fascinating and brilliant chapter. Um, so, read about that for next week, and we'll come to election, Lord willing.
3: Yeah, so the next few weeks, we'll be talking about the doctrine of salvation, starting with election and moving through a bunch of those topics. It'll probably be the most sustained treatment of that we've done as a church. So, that'll be the next, I ten don't know. Ten weeks. Ten weeks. Right? Wow. Yeah, I think that's right. it be good. All right, thank you. Thank you.